Welcome. This is season three of The Daily Market, where we've decided to do something a little special. Earlier this year, startup junkie and marketplace master Ty Wolf-Jones, hey Ty, approached me and pitched us the idea of instead of interviewing founders and marketers, why don't we dive into the world of marketplaces, the VH1 behind the music of marketplaces, or what is the making of the sausage of a marketplace? Ty could bring the operations point of view, and I could bring the marketing point of view, and we could make some marketplace magic, or maybe a little more like Marketplace Mayhem. So join us for the series where we've spoken to over a dozen marketplace leaders and pioneers from Uber, Convoy, Bellhop, DoorDash, Rover, but also some rising stars and marketplaces from multiple countries, venture capitalists, and more. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. So who is Michael Golden? Better yet, Who or what is Pinga? Uh, I think this is a very special episode that catches a marketplace at what a lot would say is the pinnacle or the end of the journey. Stay tuned to find out more. Michael Golden, well, he's the founder and CEO of Pinga, the original courier service in the UK that would bring any needed item to your hand within 15 to 120 minutes, usually from a neighbor in your neighborhood. It's also called the Uber for Everyday Tasks, aka the high street in your hand. Before Pinga, Mr. Golden was a senior manager and consultant at KPMG, where he had this crazy idea from a real-world problem that he had to turn into a startup. So Pinga was born. Over the course of five years, Pinga grew to over 40,000 downloads, thousands and thousands of active customers, raised hundreds of thousands of pounds, and was live across every neighborhood of London. This conversation was fantastic. A really open and thoughtful founder telling the true story of what it takes to build something that, uh, you know, really solved a real problem, a real personal problem for him. What do you think, Jacob? Yeah, Ty, I thought it was like listening to the discography of Pinga. It plays out like a movie as as Michael narrates. It's, it's fascinating. Michael seems like he was trying to solve a real personal problem in an optimistic, altruistic way. And then the way it shook out was ultimately different. I think that's a great story. Well, we dive deep into beta launching at a uni, the evolution of pricing through algorithms, network effects, and the plot twists, pivots to make a marketplace successful, Pinga's flywheel and the constant battle that went on there between doers and users, partnering with co-op grocery stores, the big grocery chain up in the UK, and so much more. And we think this conversation is particularly valuable for founders and and or a startup junkie wanting to study the marketplace dynamics at play and how complicated yet fun all of this can be. We hope you enjoy. And uh, as always, like or subscribe if you wish. But really, we want to hear what you thought of the episode. Did you love it? Did you hate it? Do you love my voice? Do you hate Ty's voice? Well, let us know and leave a review. Enjoy. Please enjoy. Michael, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So we're going to talk a lot about Pinga. But uh, you asked a really good question before we started recording, which was, how did Ty and I end up starting doing this? Or, you know, how are we doing this season? Because this is the third season of the show, The Daily Marketer, right? That was the question. That's right. Yeah. 
Ty, you want to take it for us? Well, yeah. I mean, I think ultimately I, I came to Jacob with this kind of idea. And the reason is, you know, I'm a startup ops guy myself. I've been in marketplaces. Uh, I love them. And, you know, looking at the podcast world that's blown up over the last few years, um, listening, you know, being a startup junkie myself, um, I didn't always hear the operational side of the story. You know, it's not always as sexy to talk about the execution or what made it go. It's always about customer demand, customer generation, sales, branding, all super important stuff. Obviously, you can't have a company without it. But I wanted to find a way to weave in the operational story. Jacob and I actually work at a startup here in Seattle, and we both came from marketplace startups ourselves. And when I found out that he had a daily marketer as his uh, podcast, I kind of pitched this idea of like, what if we played off of the concept of supply and demand, the, the, the demand side, the marketing side, and, and, the, and the customer generation, but also add in the operations side. And I know many operations people in, in the startup world, um, and that way I could bring on a, a few of the people that I know, we could get introduced to even more people and, and bring in both sides of the story. So we've talked to some operations you know, experts, we've talked to some demand gen experts, we've talked to founders, we've talked to GMs that have to think about both sides of a marketplace. That was kind of the idea. And, and it weaved nicely because Jacob has done each of his seasons a little bit differently with Daily Marketer. And so this one is the Daily Marketer Marketplace Mayhem is, is, is our nickname <laughs> for it. So, so I typically, you know, focus in on the operational and execution stuff. And uh, Jacob does a little more on the demand gen. Um, but yeah, we, we ultimately just share the questions and, and, and have a conversation. Got it. Perfect. No, it's great to meet uh, some more people that have got such good experience in the space. Agreed. Uh, yeah. So I thought we'd start with a really important question. Michael, what, what's a high street? Well, it's got, um, I think what you call them sidewalks, where we call them pavements. It's got, you call them stores, we call them shops. And uh, you walk down it and you can pop into shops and buy things. But yeah, it's usually um, the British towns have a, uh, usually have a little, we call them a town center, which is one long street where most of the shops and other things are that you might want to go and buy things. So it's a main street that maybe there's more residential, the streets behind and in front of it, but it's the street that there's cafes, groceries, et cetera, right? Exactly. In the old days, you had your greengrocer, you had your butcher, you had your... Florist. Um, exactly. Cobbler. Now you just have um, Costa Coffees and uh, a supermarket and um, betting shops. Betting shops. Yeah, and, and I bring this up because the tagline for Pinga is the high street in your hands. I thought it was really catchy. You had some other really good ones too. I'm looking at them at Think It, Get It, like that one. And right. then this is informally, it was called the Uber for Everyday Tasks, right? By Evening Standard. Right. Yeah, very cool. Uh, and, and then could you tell us how is Pinga and Robinhood related? <laughs> Well, there's no direct relationship to um, certain addresses to the um, U.S. Uh, startup that's smashing at the moment yeah, called Robinhood. No. He talk, may be referring to Robinhood Prince of Thieves. Or that's from, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, good research. So, yeah, well, we started out in Nottingham, home of Robin Hood. Nice. Home and, of Robin Hood. And was Robin Hood a real, a real person? Or is it, is it just the story of Robin Hood takes place in Nottingham? 
Um, so it's, it depends who you speak to. Some people would, would definitely tell you that he is. Others yeah. say he's a fictional character, but he was certainly very popular in those parts. Yeah. Some yeah. people there would say he he lived, right? They're like the legend of Robin Hood. That's exactly right. In Sherwood Forest, that's where he hung out. If you went through there and you had some gold, um, he might take it from you to redistribute it yeah. to uh, other more worthy um, uh, patrons. I mean, we'll test this out with some fool's gold. Yeah, no, take, take a ride. Get, yeah. get a horse and carriage, go through Sherwood Forest, <laughs> see what happens. Oh, that's great. So, so Pinga started in Nottingham. And, Nottingham, yeah, Nottingham, uh, and 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 that's a there's Nottingham University there. Uh, right. So, so, so why did it start in all places in Nottingham? Yeah, no, good question. So, after we got the idea for the business, which I can tell you about later, we were like, where are we going to kick this off? And we wanted a gated community where everyone would intrinsically trust each other to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. So we thought a uh, university was a great place where the, 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 uh, the students had common interest uh, and, and knew each other um, or, or knew some of each other, but certainly there was a basic level of trust. Right. So they were like, right, the university is perfect. And we'd read about Tinder and how they had, had followed a similar approach in the US. So we had, we've got to find a university. So initially I drove around the UK uh, I actually had a six-month-old baby at the time, and just it was a way of doing a bit of childcare. And started going around universities and trying to speak to the uh, some some officials at the universities or some student union reps mm -hmm. to get them on board so they could help me do a launch there. And I was just doing cold pitches in these universities, but I didn't really get much traction with that. Uh, so uh, luckily, around this time, I met my co-founder Jack. And he was from the, he, he graduated from the University of Nottingham, was um, quite a young guy. And he said it would be perfect um, because it had a, had a campus, uh, which was quite close to town centre. And he still had a bit of a network there. Uh, and, and we thought, we agreed that an influencer campaign to get all the um, sporty people and the popular people on campus on board I think what's known in in the younger generation as uh, big names on campus and <laughs> they get those on board and then we'll, we'll 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 get lots of others signed up so it was really due to having a bit of a network there and not being too far from London and that worked pretty well didn't it it did it was it was I said it was a brilliant time I mean I think you guys have been involved in startups and you're in them now and you probably if you've been in one for a long time it's those early days of making an impact when you haven't existed at all that are, are so exciting so yeah we we got around we got six influencers on board they had to get 10 campaign managers beneath them and then each of those 10 campaign managers would uh, then get one pound for every download they got so that that just spread quite nicely, and they were just cruising around campus, getting quite a fast pace of downloads. We then did a launch event at um, the nightclub there, which is reasonably famous, called Rock City. Huh. Um, but it's a uh, the, the 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 university name for it. Oh, come to me in a second. It's a few years ago now. 
but uh, it was like it's like the, the the place to be on a Tuesday night. And with that one, if you downloaded Pinger, then you got a free shot. <laughs> so that was a classic, a classic maneuver. Uh, and then at midnight, we had we managed to blow up ten thousand blue Pinger balloons, and those dropped down from the from the ceiling. And uh, it just got the word out. Oh yeah, and then the other thing we did because advertising was a lot cheaper there, we, we managed to get um, a two month campaign on a double decker bu- double decker buses that cruise between the main student area and the campus. <laughs> and we we were trying to think of what our ad would be. We came up with um, all I want was a corkscrew. So that was written <laughs> on the side of the bus, and that just cruised around. So yeah, we got we got half the uni who were on IELTS because we were only on IELTS back then to download it. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was, it was great fun, great fun. Yeah, that's really cool. So I, I guess we could talk now about just the the startings of of or we've already started to talk about it of of Ping. Uh, Ty, where, where do you want to take it? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, in the marketplace world, one of the uh, the, the 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 tricks that everybody kind of talks about is is where, where do you start? Do you start with the supply or the demand? And it sounds like you guys obviously started to play with this with this concept in a number of different ways. Um, but from your concept or, or even maybe advice you would give to the next founder, mm. um, how, how, how did you guys think about it? What, what ended up starting to work for you? Where did you start to see um, the real traction trying all of these guerrilla, you know, grassroots kind of strategies? Yeah, sure. So it's, it's worth saying that the concept for Pinger um, was a little bit different to some of the other marketplaces, the other on-demand marketplaces that were beginning to kick off at the time and certainly are around now. Uh, the concept was that if you needed something quickly, uh, maybe you need some groceries, uh, you need some medicine, you needed, um, you're at home, you couldn't leave, you need some emergency supplies for your baby. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the concept was it would connect you to a regular member of the community close by that could help you out ideally someone that's in the shop anyway so it could be your neighbor could be someone lived a few streets along somebody that's walking back to your street and and sees your request um and the person that's going to help you is on that particular day is going to be helping you on the next day you're going to be helping them that was the concept so it was mass uh, mobilization of society to help each other out and our one of our early vision was um to change the world by making it um, easier to help people around you so you're right so therefore in the in the very early stages we wasn't a case of demand supply in terms of very separate people it was a kind of one mass single pool that would be helping each other out that was the concept and so initially and we knew that things would change and it would emerge uh, as time went on about who was more likely to help people out and who would be more likely people be the people requesting it was a case of just get everybody on the app <clears throat> and that was the approach that nottingham uni um to, to, to get everyone on make it available make it clear about how it works and see what happens and there was only one app uh, and, and, and it allowed you to do both things so that's how we started but <clears throat> unsurprisingly as time went on it, it became clear that there were people that um, weren't really that interested in helping a helping other people out that much mm-hmm. and the crossover was actually after a while we, we worked out it was only 15 percent, which is a bit of, we were a bit disappointed by that but what is crossover 
Oh, the, sorry, the crossover is in the people that are both helping other people out and requesting. Right. So yeah. there really were two separate communities. So then as time went on, we we had to, we created two versions of the, what, two modes of the app and then time two completely separate apps and move more to the traditional customers and couriers. At that point, were, were you kind of, did you have more supply? Did you have more people who were looking? At what point were, were, were your dynamics at at that point? Right. So as time went on, we found that we were getting pretty good at getting uh, supply. We we iterated a lot different approaches and just found a particular Facebook ad approach would sign people up quite readily. And actually, although this is different to what I read about a lot of other the big marketplace businesses, Getting customers for us was actually always harder than getting supply. I think mm. partly because we moved to London and there's a, there's, there's a very huge population of people that are willing to take up career style jobs. And mm-hmm. um, it's it, that, that, that side, the customer side was harder. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you started with this concept. You know, one of the questions that Jacob had in there was this kind of like, almost altruistic or earth-serving kind of view of people helping people. And right. there's definitely in in, in other marketplaces, and, and as you said, there's lots of different types these days, but a lot of them eventually do turn to this concept of turning riders into drivers and drivers into riders and all of these, but you guys really, really tried to launch with that. One of the other things I heard you say in an interview, though, where you actually wanted to use your your algorithms and your machine learning where you could see someone maybe heading in a certain direction, like from that store to you know south, and therefore could help to, could help those people. Um, as you started to pick up all these suppliers, um, how, how did that start to take shape where you could start mm. to map and route um, um, these right. folks with your machine? Yeah, I mean the the data uh, shows that uh, not 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 initially our data, but having researched the space, that humans are um, creatures of familiar pattern. Mm-hmm. And certainly, everything's changed post-pandemic, but pre-pandemic, um, patterns were pretty predictable. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people would, most, you know, would, uh, that people liked a, a familiar routine, so go to work, come back at a pretty similar time most days, um go to if they are going to go to a a shop go to the same shop often at the Mm -hmm. same time and uh on certain days they'll go after after work they're going to do some play sport and come back so actually once you uh, start understanding of anonymously the movements of individuals you if you have that information you can then actually reasonably safely say at this particular if you're working on the general population at this particular time of day you're probably going to have quite a good amount of supply in this shop um for to be able to help uh, people that live in this particular area because we th- there's a good chance there's, there's going to be people in there that are going to go back there later so that's the that that's that's where you want to be to to start building up uh, anonymous data sets so that you can say well okay we're going to be pretty strong position for supply side at 7 p.m but at 11 a.m., we are going to be light um, and we are going to need to look further afield. Might have to pay more because uh, the, mm. the supply side is going to have to travel further. 
so that is how we that's where we wanted to move move into now because we were always prioritizing something else we we, we never moved to that level of sophistication um but we but we, we you know we started moving that direction and we we certainly um wanted to um and and, and that's how they that's how the thinking evolved yeah that's great Mat- mapping the pout patterns of of the masses as a horror and how people travel through a city uh pr- pretty interesting right um, where that could where that could go and then yeah i mean as you started to have these suppliers obviously from the operational side one of the things that, that i was intrigued by was you were even talking about some payment systems and 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 these types of things so say i'm the guy that needs the corkscrew you know operationally how, how did you guys help that happen um, mm. you know, Jacob's going to bring me a, a corkscrew. What does that look like for, what does that look like for the uh, Pinga supplier? Pinga. Right. Well, right, right to the start, I had this vision for the, um, app uh, and it was all about negotiation. So at the time that you tie needed the corkscrew, so how much is that corkscrew worth to you? Okay. Um, now is it, um, that you are, uh, you're at home, you've hurt your leg. You're watching um, some sport. You just don't have any other method of opening that bottle of wine. And right for you at that time, going out to get one is it, it just it's just a disaster, disaster yeah, for you. Yeah. So so you 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 actually you, you might pay, you might be happy to pay four pounds to get that right now. Um, while there's another time, Jacob is he's at home, but actually he can just pop around to a neighbour and get one because. Yeah, he's, he's he's ready to go. So that was the idea, and it was similar to when you needed a coffee, when you need some groceries, and and so therefore the app had a negotiation system where you would just say how much you prepare to pay in total for the item. So it wasn't about how much is the item, how much the item cost, and how much should I pay for delivery. Although we had to move to that later because people didn't didn't like the uncertainty. It was it was how, how much it was worth in total, um, and so you you actually had um, a, a, a term based negotiation process where you'd say I'd pay this much, they say this much, and then you'd kind of get down to meeting in the middle. Um, it was it kind of was a, a it made sense, but unsurprisingly, and I've learned a lot now in terms of, as the product owner, there's too much friction, way too much friction. And while does it worked okay in the scenario if you're at home and need the corkscrew and you're moving at a slow time? Didn't work if um, the the person helping we call them the doers um, is in a shop and 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 they're just trying to quickly get the items and buy and having to faff around on the app um, with the negotiation. So we we moved away from that. And I heard you say you moved to to basically fixed pricing. Is that how you what you pivoted to? We, we pivoted next to a fixed price for delivery, and then just um, uh, the doer confirming the exact price of the cost of the items. So then it was it was it was transparent about what you were paying for, um, nice. uh, and the, the cost of delivery would vary by different times of day and and demand and supply. But the the issue with that, again, the benefit of hindsight, it was there weren't enough um, dimensions of the marketplace to be able to monetize effectively, mm-hmm. because we as a business would then could could, could add a bit of commission to that transaction. But um, you couldn't do any markup on prices and you couldn't charge any commission to the retailer. And in, in this space, as you'll know, if having worked in Uber and others, um, very low margins, mm. you, 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 you've got to be able to um, leverage uh, 
commission across all sides of the marketplace. Right to get to get to, to eke out a little bit of your own uh, there. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, you, you so you're starting to see this supply, and and the holy grail is people trying to find this flywheel, right? Of trying to find this this not not just a balance of of the supply and demand, but that thing that that metric that once you drive that, you start to see those lifts happen, and you start to see things move uh, faster. What did you guys start to? figure out was your was your kind of some of your key metrics your key flywheel uh points that you guys were aiming towards or found sure sure, sure. Well, after nottingham we, we we did another fundraise and launched in london and uh, we started out in east london because we saw the competition was lighter there and it, uh, so that that became our heartland nice. and the, the the first of all the most important metrics for us were cost of activation mm-hmm. and we quickly learned that cost of a download was irrelevant you get really low quality downloads like the downloads unsurprising the downloads in the nightclub in nottingham where people got a free shot to download they didn't all become long-term retained customers um, but uh so so cost of activation and then and then customer retention those are our two uh, most important metrics um and then the, the other ones were as time went on yeah so it was the cost of acquiring the supply side and how well they retained. But for the flywheel for us was, it was which would be the same, uh, you, you've probably seen similar uh, in the marketplace you worked on, um, you, to to keep the keep the drivers, keep the couriers, you need a lot of orders. Mm-hmm. To get a lot of orders, you needed really good supply side, mm-hmm. a lot of drivers. Um, and so as soon as the number of orders starts dropping off, the drivers think there's not enough supply, not enough demand, and we'll we'll we'll, we'll drift off. And, and so it's a constant balance. But but also if you get too many customers, you haven't got enough drivers, and so so that that was that's always the challenge. And in this space, and the, there'll be plenty of others uh, that have experienced similar. And 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 it it is a, a particularly hard model because it's so for a marketplace because it's so geographically micro. You know, you, you you're working on these guys are on bikes. Guys, guys are on bikes. They've got a three, four kilometer range. It's it's hard. So that 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 that's something we constantly we're trying to balance. And 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 the way to balance it um, was as time went on to have a much smarter algorithm for for pricing. And if the customers are placing orders and there weren't enough riders. Then you had to put up the price that you paid the riders, um, and and so that you, you could make a successful delivery. And that would often mean once you push it up, that you you then become loss making. So that that would give you an incentive to get more drivers on as quickly as possible. Hey hey, wasn't that awesome? Hope you're enjoying it so far. Yeah, and you better get ready because we didn't end the conversation there. So stay tuned for part two of this striking conversation. More mayhem coming. 